Welcome to this week's edition of Two Men in the Middle. We're two men in the middle of the Midwest, pontificate about politics, news, current events, and everything under the sun. I'm Brandon Kinnig. I'm Craig Huey. So, Craig, I uh, want to start with the Rittenhouse trial this week. Uh, jury uh, is out on that, deliberating uh, that trial. Closing arguments wrapped up earlier this week. Case was made, and so now we're just waiting on a decision. Very closely watched trial. Obviously, this case, uh, when it happened last summer, uh, coming off of the uh, riots after the Jacob Blake incident, uh, he really kind of, I think, set the tone for the uh, racial outcry in this country. And then when you had this 17-year-old kid who inserted himself in the middle, it added another dimension to all of the uh, issues that were occurring throughout the country in the wake of uh, Jacob Blake uh, and others. And so uh, now as we wait for a decision, what are your thoughts on the closing arguments that were made, where the trial stands well, I've watched some of the closing arguments, and again, between the judge and the prosecuting attorney, I mean, the prosecuting attorney picked up a, like an AR-15 and was pointing it at the jury. I, I heard some of his— Seems really reckless uh, and careless in and his I, presentation. I heard some of his summation where basically it was like, what's the big deal? They were, they were lighting trash cans on fire. They were tipping porta-potties over. The, the defense was trying to basically say there was a level of— almost acceptable violence during the, the Kenosha riot that that Rittenhouse shouldn't have been surprised by or should have expected. The point I'm trying to make is that the defense, the judge, this has been kind of a weird trial from start to finish with some folks' behavior. And the judge has been very odd uh, throughout this whole thing and has inserted himself and made jokes and I think acted – I think out of bounds, weird, but also unprofessional times. And I think what was most shocking is the end when he allowed Rittenhouse, the defendant, to pick uh, randomly pick the jurors. I I know that is not something that's ever done. Usually, world. Usually you have the clerk of the court do that. You have an officer of the court. You don't have a defendant do that. And did you hear his rationale for that? When he I was didn't. Asked? So the judge said uh, you know, that he uh, did that just because he uh, – something to the effect of he thought that it would be you know, good as far as the, the ratings and the reaction, the public reaction. I like don't. playing the public reaction, which makes no sense. Let me, let me just jump on a, a reoccurring theme I've had for the three and a half years we've been potting. The judge is 75 years old. Why is he still on the bench? Why right. is he still there? Hasn't there been some sort of expiration that's run out that, that at 75, he shouldn't be a trial judge anymore? Yeah, you would. Again, I think his behavior has been erratic at best during this. And I think it's just it's another argument why we should have um, forced retirement. Yeah, forced retirement. Uh, so, so not, uh, I can't say the word. <laughs> Uh, for senile, uh, sen- senility. senility, senility, senility. Test? I think it's senility. Brandon, this is so funny that we, we recently <laughs> went on a trip to Denver with two other couples that everybody now is 50 or over. And we had a big conversation about, about the mental decline you hit when you get into your fifties. And part of it was a buddy of mine's like, who reaches for words anymore? Who sits there and says, I, I've got the word, it's in my head, I just can't spit it out. And we all basically acknowledge that once you hit 50, that becomes a real, that becomes part of your everyday that, that you have to deal with. My, my point is that I think what people are struggling the most with, if, if they're on that jury, what they're struggling with is how do you weigh his actions by placing himself in this extremely volatile situation bringing a gun 
to that situation? And how do you separate that from at the moment that he fired that gun? I think it's reasonable to believe he feared for his life. I mean, how do you, and I think that's where, this is where the judge and the defense attorney did the jury no favors. That's already confused enough, yeah. but through some of the, the shenanigans and just the overall oddity and how they've chose to communicate, I, I don't, I think that's made the situation for the jury even more confusing. It, well, it has, and I will say it's also more confusing, so the judge I think to his credit did allow these lesser charges to be considered, which he, I think helps. But he, he threw out the gun charge. He did throw out the gun charge, yes. Um, but they're not looking solely just at the homicide charges. There are some lesser charges related. There's a reckless endangerment. Reckless endangerment, which he could be convicted of. And that's because Rittenhouse fired randomly yeah. into the crowd. Yeah, I mean, if that doesn't qualify as reckless endangerment, I don't know what, what does. does. So my takeaway here is I thought the prosecution started um, pretty sloppily with this case. And I think uh, they did pivot in terms of their central argument at one point and going to this argument about provocation and saying mm-hmm. that, you know, he was there to provoke. And if you find that he was there to provoke, uh, then you can find him guilty, uh, you know, regardless of kind of the circumstances of someone coming at him because you have to factor in sure. the intent of why he was there and whether or not this incident would have happened if he he had not been in that place at that time, you know, with the provocative action he was taking. But this, this is where, this, is where the, 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 this case is really difficult as a juror. While, while that's true, and that is part of the law, it really boils down to in those seconds where the one gentleman was pointing a gun at Rittenhouse, another gentleman was lunging towards and grabbing at the gun to take it from him, and the third gentleman was hitting him in the head with a skateboard. Yeah. It's not a long leap to say in those moments, it's reasonable that a person could legitimately fear for their life. It's also legitimate to say, and if he wasn't there, and if he hadn't brought the gun, none of that would have happened. But, and that's but why this that's is such, not part of the legal argument. That, that's the problem. That's such a gray area. Like he should not have been there to begin with, and had no business being the, there. But th- this is what people struggle with: the self defense. All of argument legal. is very yeah. Carrying that gun into that situation was legal. I, I'm stunned by it, but it is. I mean, it's stupid. It's foolish. It's but dumb. It's, yeah, it's legal. And they threw out the the rifle charge because again. That law was written around to allow 17-year-olds to carry rifles for hunting. Right. And it basically said a 17-year-old could carry a a long rifle if the barrel of the rifle was still its original manufacturer length and it hadn't been shortened or something. Basically, it's a horribly worded law for Wisconsin that they should revisit. It's an arcane and archaic law that doesn't apply today for the reason that it was written back at the time. And after like three hours of debating it, I think the judge just threw his hands up and say, I can't make sense of this. I'm dropping the charge. Yeah. Which I I guess I have to begrudgingly agree with that too. If you can't figure out what the law says, or if the law is written in a way that you don't know if it applies to this, this case, don't you have to throw that out? Right. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's if you're going by the letter of the law, you know, it, at some point you have to look at and decide, you know, even if you want, you know, to find him guilty and say that he shouldn't have had that gun, if the law is uh, written to allow for that, then it comes down to you just need to change the law. That's what needs to happen. Everything in me the law needs to be updated. I feel about guns wants to throw this kid in jail for some time. 
to say you don't bring a gun to a violent situation. No, well, and partially too, because again, like his entire behavior is reckless. And and so the fear here is that if he is not charged with anything and comes out completely um, and found not guilty, then he's just going to take it in stride. And, you know, and it's not going to prevent him from doing something similar like that in the future because, you know, it's it'll have been reinforced. Right. You know, because he yeah. was found not guilty. He came away from it. You know, you have his mother who's doing a whole PR campaign on his behalf on that Fox just News. Makes you know, just, this, th- what gets me about this case is, and I didn't think I would get this fired up about this case, is one, it, it, it touches on everything how I personally feel about guns and especially yeah. about assault rifles. And it triggers parts of personal responsibility about parental responsibility. Well, and the lackadaisical uh, behavior when it comes to guns. Like this kid yeah. just, you know, rock, walking around with this gun, pointing at it. Well, it's lackadaisical yeah. about it. it this, this hits me as a parent. How in the world can you let your son leave that house knowing he's armed going to basically a race riot yeah this is where my my good friend now andrew mccarthy comes into play i've talked about you know if you're if you're on team dim find a find somebody on the opposite side of the aisle that you trust that can explain another perspective to you andrew mccarthy said it very well he's like i have three sons if any of them would have pulled what rittenhouse said there would be no trial because i would kill them myself if one of my kids picked up an ar-15 because he has sons i think in their early 20s and late teens yeah he's like if that had been my kid and i found out he did it he took a gun to that he's like i gotta beat that kid's ass as a parent i 100 percent agree with that right but that's one sentence then the next sentence is because he displayed terrible judgment and no adults intervened with better judgment doesn't mean he loses his legal right to self-defense no and it's it's and that's where it becomes very hard for the prosecution to disprove that it wasn't self-defense yeah. because when you have people coming at you with various objects and they're attempting to do you harm you know at that point that's when the self-defense uh, legal argument kicks in. And so, you know, it's, and I think that's what's going to be very difficult for the prosecution to overcome. Now, I think the one, I think if we can look for a silver lining for the prosecution and all this, it's that the jury is still out and this is what, day two? Three days. Three days. This is day, this three. Is day three. That's right. So typically, you know, and again, um, I'm not a legal expert. I just, you know, observe, but based on, I have watched every episode of law and order and law and order SVU. <laughs> and I watch a lot of those That's uh, right. legal so, shows on TV. Brandon, so. I think we're like paralegals. Okay. I'll go with that. I don't even know what a paralegal is. I don't know <laughs> if they have them anymore, but let's not discount our legal uh, knowledge because we've watched a lot of TV. We have. Yeah. And so, and you can pick up a lot too from watching those shows, but, and I think number one. Typically, it's considered uh, beneficial for the prosecution um, if the jury doesn't come back right away with a verdict. If the ver- jury had come back within a couple hours or less than a day with a verdict, usually that's seen as beneficial yeah. to defense because you know they're not grappling over the charges. We know just based on the fact that this is three days that they are arguing and grappling over one charge or more. Clearly, there's dissent, there's disagreement, and so that's why this is taking as long as it is. If they were all in agreement, usually they're all in agreement on a case of someone being found not guilty, and that's when they come back as quickly as they do. So, um, you know, again, we'll see what the end result is. If I had to (laughs) prognosticate and guess, um, I would say he would be found guilty of the reckless endangerment charge, but none of the other charges. Yeah. So that's... 
what First I would. First off, the, the Huey children have been taught one thing by law and order. If you get picked up by the police for any reason, the only thing you say is, I want a lawyer. You never yes. talk to the police. I don't care if you're completely innocent. I don't care if it's jaywalking. If you ever find yourself in an interrogation room, it's I want a lawyer. Is In all cases, that's what that's you want to do. That's yeah. the only thing you, you ever say to anybody. How would you like to be on that jury? Because there's no, even if you and I were on the jury, I think, there's no casual way, there's no non-emotional way to talk about this. No. I mean, those 12 people have to be going at it for three days. Because it feels like maybe the room's evenly divided. There's half he's innocent, there's half he's guilty, he's there's guilty only of one, something. There's only one black juror, though, right, I think? Is I think so. Right? Yeah. But it is emotional, and with the media spotlight, too, um, there's, as a juror in today's day and age, especially in a high-profile trial that uh, has racial tensions attached to it or political aspects, you are always, there's always some emblance of security, right, that's involved because you never know. There might be some wacko, some crazy person who tries to track down who's on the jury and who voted which way, and that's just part of the times we live in. So. You know, you do take a risk being a, serving on a jury in a high-profile case like this. And these people, this is mainly a volunteer thing. They yeah, don't get that's paid a like risk. anything. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like a daily stipend. That's would you be on nothing. this jury, Brandon, or would you would you would uh, you get yourself out of it in jury selection? Well, I mean, I've first of all, I should say, I've always wanted to serve on a jury. I have not yet mm-hmm. because, but um, this jury for this case, I don't know if I want to serve on one no. that's this high profile. No. I would probably find some way out. Um, I am still waiting, though, at some point to get summoned for a jury, and it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> but I, I think they'd look at my background and probably decide not to have me because oh I'm God. too— Right now, in the partial retired state that I'm in, I would love to be on a jury, <laughs> like a long one. That yeah. would be completely awesome. I, I know people that have been summoned multiple times, and then they, they get sick of it. I've been summoned a couple times, oh, but I've always, I've always just gotten out of it. But uh, I, I think with, you know— <laughs> I think I would have probably excused myself somewhere in the process knowing because what you said, that's a real, that's a real threat now. It is a real threat. I mean, there's a real fear about somebody's going to dox these people. Their information's going to get out into the public. Easily happened. Well, and there's an MSNBC crew following the van that was transporting the bus, transporting the jurors just recently. I love how Fox comes up with the line, far left media outlet (laughs) kicked out. And you're like, what the hell? Oh, it's it's MSNBC. uh, I don't think that's exactly far left, but... And allegedly, that guy was a freelancer. He wasn't part of their their regular staff. Yeah, and I guess he he just he had no intention. They said to contact somebody, but it is kind of weird that if you're following a bus, if you're a reporter and you're following bus with jurors on it, that that's probably not. I mean, it's good that they just acted out of an abundance of caution because, again, you just never know. Today, you want to be proactive if there's anything that could be a threat, or you see someone who may be suspicious following you know, members of the jury like to, to just be on that. Wouldn't, wouldn't we be better served, Brandon, if we treated this like a local law enforcement story? I mean, this is, if, if he is found, if he's either found guilty, not guilty, if there's a combination of he's guilty of something of innocent of something else on the charges, there's going to be a backlash to this. There's going to be protests. There's going right. to be something. But, but Craig, I mean, we can't because what, I mean, Ratings, ratings drive you know the punditry, true, the true. monetization aspect of it. Like, there's plenty of people on the sidelines that have a lot to gain from the high profile nature, and for you know stroking stroking the racial divisions and the and the emotions of all of this. I mean, th- this is you know prime time 
business now in terms of Friend, how I'm sh- we I'm shocked do what you law just in America. Said. I'm shocked that you did you did I'm shocked that your answer wasn't the people at NBC and NBC and and the mainstream media wouldn't have said, you know what, we need to dial our coverage back. This is a sensitive <laughs> story. There's multiple sides to this. And sacrifice May- ratings so the other network can get the maybe ratings? Maybe we no. could contribute to a positive outcome by just dialing the temperature down a little bit. You're right. That That's insane. Nobody's ever going to do no. it. It's max outrage, that, max That's like 1950s America when we had three networks, you know, the, the, the ABC, NBC, and, CBS. And let's face it. If, if a network did do it, my side of the fence would basically accuse them of being white supremacists or something and suppressing yeah. the story, and there'd be no benefit to it I mean, it's way. just it's not going to happen this day and age. I mean, and really, you know, the O.J. Simpson trial was the catalyst for really being able to pump up a yeah. major uh, trial and for or ratings and emotion and you know and and now we're in a place in America where anything if there's some type of political angle that can be uh seized upon it's going to because you know that's what drives ratings and the polarization are you buying the narrative that Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist I, I mean I don't know enough to do that so I would it uh, I wanted to say that I think he's a cocky, you know, kid. He's just a who's stupid just, kid, uh, you know. And I think that um, you know he inserted himself wrongly and probably is still too cocky um, and probably doesn't have the remorse he should. Uh, but I would, I think it's dangerous to take that leap and just say he's a white supremacist without you know yeah. any other context. And, you know, and it mu- it should be said too, like. Um, there's another trial going on this week that isn't getting nearly the coverage, but the Ahmed Arbery case out of Georgia, you know, the black man who was accosted and attacked and, and killed, um, you know, off the street, uh, you know, his attackers are being tried. And there's been some drama in that case. Um, Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton yeah. went out and were sitting with the families. And one of the defense attorneys um, blurted out to the judge saying, we don't want any more black pastors. That was the prosecutor. Did that. Um, no, that was the defense attorney. Was for, it the defense attorney? It was the defense attorney. Yeah, I thought that the was prosecutor. the prosecutor no. stood up and said, we don't want any more black. No, no, because the prosecutor would have done that because the, hmm. the prosecutor, you know, the okay. defense attorney was saying that because he saw Jackson and Sharpton as intimidation. And, uh, and and you but one of the defense co-counsels, because there's three men on trial here, right? So there's the, a whole cadre the defense, of that's attorneys. right. I'm sorry. I got yeah. I got my I got my roles reversed around. But it was right. interesting. If you saw the live video feed when he said that to the judge, one of the other defense counsels for one of the other defendants, her eyes widened. She's like, oh my gosh, did he just yeah. say that? We don't want any more black pastors coming out of here. Which first of all is ridiculous because as long as they're not disrupting the trial, anybody can be in the courtroom as a member of the public you can't say i don't want any more black pastors up here and then like he made the case worse because later he said he's like well it would be like if we had you know guys in hoods white hoods here for our uh client and so it's like okay number one you're comparing black pastors to ku klux klan and saying they're two sides of the same coin and number two you are making the insinuation that having white guy or guys in white hoods for your client would somehow be appropriate or beneficial yeah, to your there's, client. There's, there's no historical context <laughs> for that. And, and why would you want to make that connection to your client who's being charged in a racially motivated murder? Here, uh, just, it's, here, it's here's what I don't get. If, you're, if your main narrative from a cable news outlet is every, everybody's racist, everybody's a white supremacist. And I think we can both agree that throughout the course of the last two years, that's been a running theme in American media. Yeah. If 
and there's a tendency to do that with the Rittenhouse trial, and, and so that's what I was trying but to say. But that's is, what I'm saying. Why it, it it applies perfectly though to the Aubrey the Aubrey case. Yes, yeah. this was a blatant case. Th- there's your narrative. Yeah. right there. Why are we not? And, and Focusing that, that way. Right. And why is that case not getting nearly the coverage when there is that angle there? And it's a case that I think elevates the problem of racial injustice in America because forget this case was in rural Georgia. And let's not forget that when this happened, nobody was initially charged ten because months. the district attorney. It took 10 months and the leak of a videotape right. before they finally charged these Yeah, because the district attorney was good old boy's best friend That's with the— defendants and and it was a travesty of justice a total miscarriage of justice and this is a case where you can't say that there was anything intervening this was a guy who was merely jogging you know in this neighborhood and who he walked through a home construction site right who hasn't done that who hasn't done that i do that all the time and so these the defendants they claim that they assumed he was up to no good and so they just proactively went took him up off the street and then, you know, he starts pulling away and defending himself, and he gets shot and killed. He, he didn't even do that. I, I, I watched or listened to a little bit of that testimony today with one of the gentlemen, Travis, I think is his name. Yeah. And I don't remember the last name. The, the prosecuting attorney is asking him, did he yell at you after you saw him and approached Aubrey? Did, 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 he, did he verbally – was he verbally aggressive? Nope, he didn't say a word. Did he have anything in his hands? No. Did he have a gun? No. Did he have a knife? No. What did he did he approach you? No. And then she asked him, "Did you have to get out of your car to confront him?" And he's like, "No. I could have just sat in my car." That's how about, pretty damning, yeah. How about when when the dad, the older guy said, "You know, you know, if you um, stop or blow your fucking brains out." Did he have to do that? No. Did he ever make any threatening gesture, movement? No. No. Okay. Isn't that the story? Isn't if your if your corporate goal is to use the the racism angle to drive every click and eyeball you can, isn't the Aubrey case point to where it really exists? That's the one you should use. Why and, are we and, so off and on showcase this one? the Arbery trial that this is a trial that almost never even happened because of the that's the story, isn't it? Racial issues at play yeah that's the story the story is why did the prosecuting attorney sit 10 weeks and take a video to charge these three guys and it was only because there was a video and there was public outcry and media pressure that this trial even happened in the first place otherwise we would not even have a trial that these guys would be going scot-free i think the last time i tried to make a citizen's arrest i was 10 and (laughs) we were like playing or or do i tried probably tried to citizens arrest my sister for doing something we yeah, I mean, who— These three guys, <sighs> what, what, what are they doing? Why did they approach this guy? What right did they have to do— Okay, he was trespassing, technically. Okay, that means three guys have the right to make a citizen's arrest, stalk him in a vehicle, detain him? What? What? No. What? no. I mean, that, that, that's anarchy. I mean, that's vigilantism. I mean, th- we have police for a reason. And if we're going to have citizens just, you know, accost— people that they're suspicious of with no evidence, with no probable cause, I mean, that's a recipe for disorder. I mean, lawlessness. You can't have that in a society. And that's why they can't um, go free and go without justice because, again, it sends a bad message. But this is the case, like you said, the media should be focusing on. And it's a case that has just fallen by the wayside since the yeah. initial outcry. And there's been it's been secondary in coverage to the Rittenhouse case. And I don't understand it, why that case has blown up. 
yeah. as the focal point for both sides. And it's telling to me because I feel like particularly on the progressive side, progressives would do well for their cause to highlight the Arbery case. The 10 weeks that it, that they didn't charge him, that's the story. That's and, the lean-in point. And then the right is just completely ignoring it, so they're not yeah. touching it at all. So it's just a, it's a really bizarre scenario that we have now. But again, it doesn't fit into this left-right uh, narrative that Rittenhouse does, um, and, you know, so Rittenhouse, he's become a cause celeb or a hero to some on the right, a villain to those on the left. And so it's become this case where I think we just it, – it's become dumber as Americans because we just latch on to these labels. And so we have to have a villain or a hero, and each side you know, assigns that label to the person who's at the focal point, the spotlight. And then that becomes the focus. And again, it's almost like we can't focus on more than one no. thing at once. That sucks all the oxygen out of the room, so it's as if nothing else matters or is going on. I texted you a picture this morning, Brandon, of a gentleman that I, oh, uh, yeah. uh, that I saw at Quick Trip. And he got out of a, a Crown Vic car that he had painted himself black and white to look like a police car. And on the car— And this was up in Platte This is Platte City, yeah. Platte City, yeah. And, and my favorite place, Quick Trip, where every day <laughs> begins. That should be their slogan, every day begins yeah, a Quick Trip. That's a good trip. slogan, yeah. And so this was—he he had a, a, a Crown Vic, basically, painted like a police car. And you could mistake it— at first glance, for being a, a police actual police car. car, it looked like that. I had to zoom in and really see it up close. And on the f- front fender was painted the the phrase "Deputies for Donald," and this was the Donald Trump police force. Basically, is what this young this person was 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 portraying. I said young man because that has to be a dude. And you never saw car. the driver, right? No, I, I, did, I didn't see okay. the driver. I, the point. One that was kind of ridiculous and funny in the moment, but but we, who does that? Who, who goes to do, that extent and, are, and that time and are effort we to reaching do that? a point where that's people, kind of scary? To me. <laughs> where people are substituting themselves for institutional authority because well, they've lost faith in the institution. Where well, now people can deputize themselves on behalf of the former president to do. What? That seems to be the direction we're going. So I don't want to give it off on too many tangents, but related to that, which we haven't talked about yet on the podcast, um, there's this escalating tendency of some homeowners to put up these black flags outside their homes. Have you followed this? What does that mean? It's just a completely black flag um, that apparently means that they – no quartering of, of – uh, it was used – supposedly goes back to Civil War times, no quartering of soldiers. But the people that are putting this up now, that means no quartering of what they consider political enemies. That if a civil war starts in America and you're considered on the other side politically, um, they're not going to take you prisoner. They're going to shoot to kill. So that's essentially what that means it's a warning they put up a black flag saying if you're the political enemy we shoot to kill no no prisoners that's our approach if you have a black flag in front of your house you're an idiot and these are popping up in rural pennsylvania states in the south all over the place so that's happening which again points to that lawlessness you know impact we talked about and then there was a poll out in late august you had nine percent of republicans say that they believe that lethal force is justified to reinstate trump as president and nine percent that may not seem like a big number but think about that nine percent that's a lot of people (laughs) that's a lot a lot that is a lot of people is this a sign of we're getting to the point that when you when you've lost all faith in institutions and you've lost faith in institutions to do what you feel is morally right 
you feel there's a there's a there's a power void there and individual citizens are empowering themselves to step into that void right is what feels like happening and i agree with you that is extremely dangerous that leads to nowhere possible no it's a combustible situation and again all it takes is for one person to take that literally into the next level and you know we have a mass casualty event yeah and so i think it would be mindful for us to remember that and also remember that this isn't happening in a vacuum these people who have lost faith and confidence in government institutions you know this wasn't on their own this was an orchestrated campaign by the former president of the united states yeah. and this didn't just happen and his um, supporters in government and elected uh, office who have just over and over and over again repeated this lie and just you know brazenly sowed this mis- this doubt and mistrust. Yeah. And so now you have a whole segment of the population. It's so ingrained. I don't know that there's anything that would convince them otherwise at this point. I think it's something now that we live with as part of our body bo- politic, and then we just pray and hope and somehow that it doesn't um, you know, manifest itself into something that's But it's got dangerous. to in some ways, right? In some ways, this has to manifest itself as violence. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. I don't see how it doesn't because there's enough people that subscribe to it and that have taken extremist positions. And so, you, you know, that that's where we are in the country. I, I think we're headed into an era of heightened political violence. It's been a long time since we've dealt with that. You in have the to go United back to States. late 60s, 68. That's what I was thinking yeah. in the 60s. I mean, because right in a row, you had the Kennedy, the both Robert F. Kennedy, or JFK and RFK, Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther King, I the mean, race riots. It of the feels late 60s. like we're headed back to that that spot, or all yeah. signals are at least indicating that 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 that's that's the logical conclusion to where this goes. Well, and and like never before, like you have more and more. Uh, journalists and and people penning pieces talking about the likelihood of a civil war, you know, and uh, violence breaking out. And, you know, I wrote all that off as just like ridiculous, yeah. excessive. I don't anymore. I don't anymore. It just, it seems more and more likely that so something like that happens. I, I often think about this. One of the problems we have today is no one's coming to help. Everybody that could help or has the power to help just wants to make money and grift. Yeah. That's it. So, how do we get ourselves out of this if nobody's interested in getting out of it? Because to your point, there's money to be made. Yeah. There's clicks to be had. There's brands to be built. Nobody. Nobody. And you need leadership. And if you're not going to have a leader step Who? up to be the voice, yeah. then you, I, we just continue where we are. So what's your – the Rittenhouse jury has been out for, I think they said, 26 hours. They've talked about this for 26 hours over three days and have not yet reached a verdict. What's your – What's your prediction on what the final outcome of this is going to be? Uh, well, if I had to predict, I'm thinking by end of day tomorrow, we have a verdict. And I think uh, he reckless endangerment charge, but um, none of the other charges. I think I think the reckless endangerment's a layup. I think they're arguing about one of the murder charges, probably the one where the guy lunged at the gun, maybe. Yeah. It, it feels like th- th- that that— that's a given, the the reckless endangerment. Right. Because I heard, too, he brought 30 rounds with him, and he shot all 30 rounds that night? Yeah. What? I, I, oh, okay. Yeah. A little bit trigger happy there. <laughs> that, that sounds like that. that's a layup. Yeah. I thought the gun charge, if, it, if the law was written in a way that it applied, that would have been a layup. It feels like they might be fighting over one of the shooting counts 
where some people want to convict him of that and some don't. Right. And I don't, I don't know how you come to a conclusion. Uh, if you and I were on opposite sides of that, I don't think you could argue me over to yours, and I don't think I could argue you over to mine. No, and I, I think that's where the difficulty is, yeah. If they can't reach a verdict on all counts, can they just convict him of the reckless endangerment and say the rest of it were hung on, or does it, is it all or nothing? Oh, that's a good I don't question. Know. I don't know. And I, I wanted to think that that's, it depends upon the state. And I don't know. Ugh, yeah, I wish I knew that. That's a very good question. Let, let's pivot a little bit to, to me, always the best vice presidents are the ones that you don't even know are there. And boy, I bet Kamala Harris right now <laughs> wish she could just play Casper the ghost and just disappear for a little bit. Yeah. And I, so, you know, and this is interesting, right? So Kamala Harris for, you know, in terms of what we've heard and seen, like she hasn't really been doing much of anything, right? She isn't mm-hmm. in charge of like any big initiatives. Like they threw the border crisis at her. They'll throw these things that are really intractable that can't really be yeah. solved, you know, in a day or even in a couple months. Uh, but clearly there's some bad blood between the Biden people and uh, Harris's people. And, you know, what's interesting is like when you look at the headlines and, you know, what's being leaked in terms of, you know, they're saying Harris's staff is dysfunctional and her office is a mess. You know, Biden came in and installed his people. And for the most part for her, installed um, his people around her. Um, that was something that was done to him when he came in under Obama, you know, he didn't get to bring in as many of his loyalists. He had to defer to Obama's people. And so now that he's on the other side of that, he's doing the same. Uh, but in terms of like what we've seen with the CNN story and the, that being leaked, as we were talking off air, there's no way this happens without the White House consenting. Of course they did. You know they did. Of and, course they and did. And even if you look at uh, Ron Klain, the chief of staff, and others and um, uh, who have come to – have responded to this and come to Harris's defense, it seems like a very weak defense. Yeah. I mean when you're up there having to explain, no, we get along yeah. well. Like it's, it's – no, you've, it's too late so at that point. here's what I would say, Brandon. If one day on the podcast you accused me of being a racist and a sexual assaulter – We'd probably end the podcast at that yeah. point. Okay. I'm pretty sure I've got it right that in the campaign, Kamala Harris accused Joe Biden of both. Right. Multiple times on the stage in national TV. The second thing that that always gets me is Kamala Harris has been an underperforming politician for as long as I've been aware of her yeah. as a politician. Why did we think that suddenly she was going to get good at this? Well, I don't know. I mean, her I presidential know. campaign was completely Terrible. lackluster. Awful. So, and if you look at, if go back and read the conventional wisdom on why Biden chose her, he was not her, his first choice. Um, so uh, Whitmer, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of uh, Minnesota, uh, Michigan was his first choice, actually. But his people kept saying, you need to pick someone who's more intersectional, you know, in, in terms of race. Um, he knew he had already made the promise that he was going to pick a woman. So yep. that was in doubt. Uh, and he said black woman too. a black woman. And so, and there were others considered, um, and it was interesting, but at the end of the day, he chose her. Uh, but that was also a choice that, again, if you kind of read what people said at the time that he did it come to like immediately, like that took some time. Um, so political reasons, he chose her, it looks like political reasons only, um, so 
like you said, I think in terms of like the rift and you know what was said during the debate, I mean, they were not friendly after that. No. I mean, until he chose her as his VP, uh, it's not like they were close and on speaking terms no. even. I, I just don't. I just don't. I, I've said this before. I don't understand Kamala Harris. I don't know why she's there. When, we, when she first announced for president, we'll, we'll back up. I think most people became aware of her at the uh, Brett Kavanaugh hearings. Yeah. Where she asked him a bunch of bizarre questions about, do you know this lawyer? Do you know that lawyer? Do you know this law firm? Implying she had some goods on him that she never delivered. And to me, that's from where, where I think of Kamala Harris, that's a reoccurring theme. Yeah, Never the, deliver. Well, the, the only thing I can say positive is that sometimes within the um, within the hearings, I mean, she's been able to ask probing questions. That gets back to her background as a prosecutor. Uh, and and she she did okay during the debate with Pence. I mean, she was a killer standout, but she was a bad. She held her own. So I felt like the one VP debate that she had with Pence was a wash, really. Like it wasn't like it didn't do any damage. Well, if you can't hold your own with Mike Pence in a debate. You're not a very good debater. <laughs> well, that, Mike that's true. Pence is not a dynamic debater at all. And then we had the the fly. You remember that took the, the spotlight. His head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, oh, he was being sexist because he interrupted her. They were talking. Yeah. People interrupt each that's other. That's what happens. That's, that's what they how do. they do it. I, I just don't get. So Kamala Harris was was given the VP slot as she's next. Right. Knowing, I, I still will. Always, Biden's not running for a second term. I, j- I just can't believe I, I don't he's going that, to yeah. do that. So it was, we're going to grease the skid for you. You're going to get four years of executive level exposure, and the public's going to get four years of exposure to you, and that's going to kind of give you this this absolutely gold-plated path to the nomination for the presidency in 2024. But what they can't get over is Kamala Harris is the least likable politician I've ever met. She has no Reagan in her. She yeah. has no Obama in her. She has no common touch. She has no skill. She has no, no skills when, when she speaks. She dropped out of the presidential race because she was projected to finish fourth in her home state of California. I know she gets made fun of this laugh a lot, but that cackle laugh you do when people ask you questions, that's incredibly off-putting. And they just pick somebody who could not connect with the people independents, white men, moderate white men that they need to to for her to win the presidency. Right. I mean, ultimately, it worked having her as second fiddle as the VP in terms of building the coalition to win the general. But when but it's that's her not alone, how she was billed. She was billed as next. Right. But I mean, in the course of the presidential campaign, I mean, Biden yeah. did a run with that in yeah. the general, obviously. I guess I'm saying not... the expectations from her are so much higher. Oh, yeah. Because it's already been said. Oh, I We're agree. just here for her. And, and, and the spotlight has been on her. And that's why, you know, we're almost a year in. And that's why she has a performed expectation. And so the t- clock is ticking. And, you know, there's obviously a lot she needs to do if she's going to up her game to prove to her detractors that she can be presidential and has the ability to yeah. to change. And most people haven't seen that yet. And but so is she underperforming? I mean, from what I know of Kamala Harris, she's right on brand. She's well, right yeah, on that's target. True. This is exactly what I would expect out of her. But I guess I sh- that what I should have said is someone who could have grown into the position, right? She doesn't I mean, seem to be growing at all. And I think no, that's No, I mean the she keeps making her. uh verbal gaffes and fumbles and I and she just so I I and it's worrisome because then the question is yeah. 
we could be at this place um, in you know three years where she may be running for president, but she's not the front runner. And we have this crowded Democratic field, uh, which would be the first time ever with the VP who's running. Yeah. Uh, and because her popularity, too, with Democrats is very low right now. I mean, she's not even popular within the party. And I think both of us agree that Biden got elected because he was allowed to campaign COVID style. Yeah. That ain't happening in 2024. No, we're going to be back to normal campaign. There's, Biden has showed me nothing that says he has the physical and mental energy oh, he can't do that. to no. run a campaign. No there's way. no way. So, and here's where the Democrats have put themselves in a box. So now you've already said that the, the, the non-white, because Kamala Harris is, is African-American and Indian. So the non-white woman who we selected her for VP because Biden said he wanted a black woman specifically. Now suddenly, who, who, who are they going to replace her with? Yeah, I think that's, that's the How question. How are you going to keep your, your support among black Americans if you dump Kamala Harris as your VP? Now we've painted ourselves in a box that our options are very, very limited. I think the Democrats have one option to run for president in 2024. Now, uh, well, to, to give you some guesses, who could who could who could the Democrats bump Harris for, and ev- and everybody would accept it? There's only one person that pulls this off. Except him, is that what you said? Whoever they are, okay. because my, I guess my point is, you're not bumping her for a white guy, right? Yeah. After all of your talk about a black woman and all of that, now you're going to replace her with what Pete Buttigieg? That's not going to happen, is it? No. no. So, Although he did just become the most powerful transportation secretary probably <laughs> of the past, you know, 100 years. Probably. <laughs> so who is it? Who could they replace her with? There's one <sighs> choice. When I say it, it's going to be obvious. Okay, because I'm not thinking of it. It's Michelle good. Obama. The only person. Oh, that's not likely at all. Only Come on. Per- but the only person. She's not even in politics but, but think at all it right through. now. If you're going to take a black woman, the first black VP off the ticket and replace her for performance, okay? Uh, yeah. And you still want to turn out black vote? You tell me who does that. But that would be seen as such a cynical move, too. That like... wasn't the question. The question was who. I, I see. Yeah, if I see if you're, you're not, I mean. And somebody who has sky-high popularity within the party. You're going to take somebody like uh, General McAuliffe, who just bombed out in, in Virginia that they brought into the, <laughs> I mean. Yeah, that's not going to happen. And the reason why. I think that's the only thing that makes sense because the Democrats have painted themselves in this corner. <sighs> right? Yeah. I mean, what happens if they bump Kamala, if they throw Kamala Harris off the ticket? They're screwed. They're, there's no way. Yeah, I, I, I'm just, I'm flummoxed. I mean, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know what comes out of this. It's just, there, it's uncharted territory. There's the phrase I love, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Yeah. In some ways, Democrats, you played a stupid game with this and you made a stupid decision. Here's your stupid prize. Now you're totally screwed. You've got the guy who physically and mentally, mentally at 82 is not going to convince people that he can be president for another four years. And I don't think that's, that's not me saying Biden's senile or anything. It's, that's just how it works. He just doesn't have the physical energy for a campaign yeah. or for the job. But you've also played the race card so many times. <sighs> yeah. Now you're going to bump the black woman? Really? And you're going to run a white guy or a white woman? That ain't going to work. 
you told your intersectional coalition that you've spent many, many years building that she was next. She's your ride or die. You either pull a Michelle Obama move or you just go down in flames with her. I I don't see what else you can do. Yeah. I, and I, I keep like, again, running through the list of potential candidates in my mind, even like black women candidates. There's nobody else there who would be Val Demings. That I mean, was she, my pick. Yeah, I mean, she was great. I mean, yeah, she would have been great. But and yeah. if you had picked somebody like Val Demings, there was no expectations really on her. Or yeah. She would have gotten heightened expectations knowing that they were priming her for the presidency, but she wouldn't come in with all the expectations that Kamala Harris had for her. Yeah. And what, what I don't understand, nobody fails up. She was a bad candidate. She was a bad politician running for the office. Now that she's in the executive branch, she's the exact same bad politician she was. How did anybody, how did the Dems not see this coming? I, I, I don't know. We've royally screwed ourselves. We have no bench at, at the executive level. We got nobody that's going to run for president effectively, especially if Trump decides to run. And again, and that's what we always go back to, right? Because in 2024, there's no margin for error. Like no. <laughs> Democrats have to if have- he runs. Against Kamala Harris, it's a landslide. It's not even close. And the one thing that will prevent him from running is if he thinks he's going to lose. Yeah. If he runs against Michelle Obama, even his own internal people would say, you're about to get creamed. Right. He's not going to at that point. Because, yeah, when it comes down, he doesn't like to lose. No. And he's not going to spend the money and time if he feels like there's a chance of that happening. What, What aggravates me so much about this is how many times in your career have you looked at the person who got the big promotion and said well that's a shit show give it six months that's not going to work everybody knew going in kamala harris had severe political limitations and liabilities yeah nobody and i think it's fair to say because she was the first african-american woman on the ticket nobody nobody has sat her down and say here's your deficiencies here's what you must work on and if you can't correct these things you're not going to run for president. So that's what I don't understand. And it would have, again, setting aside like, uh, you know, the typical um, turf wars that occurred like between presidential and VP offices, like it would have behooved Biden's team to do everything possible to groom her and to, you know, and, and to be able to uh, work with her and develop those abilities and say, we're going to work, you know, 24 mm-hmm. seven on this, this, and this. And it doesn't appear like any of that's happened. I no. mean, she's just because floundering the, out there. Cause if I was Kamala Harris's political coach, the first thing is we're going to have to develop a completely different political personality for yeah. you. This condescending thing you do and this cackling you do all the time, that shit's got to go. Who, who is that for? I don't think you even know you're doing it. Yeah. And I certainly don't, I don't think you know how off putting it is. This feeds into my general thesis. The reason that, from our view, these things are so clear, Brandon, how many times a month in a work situation or other situations do people tell you that your idea is wrong? I mean, you uh, hear it. Yeah, every now and then, yeah. When's the last time Kamala Harris got any type of straightforward feedback that wasn't, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread? Never. Yeah. Never. And that's part of the problem. Yeah, I think most of us in our, you know, I mean, I work, you know, in terms of creating strategy docs, and I have those uh, oh, proofread. I, I bet you get reviewed, some feedback on those, and I get feedback all the time, like change this or this isn't great. You should like, 
So I think feedback and getting like internal and peer feedback and peer review is something for most of us that's just a mainstay of our jobs. But yeah, when you get to a certain level in politics, you no longer get that. You get people that are yes people and they just reinforce all of your flaws and bad habits. And you grow to think that you are better than you are and you have kind of a warped view and perception of what people think. Why does Jin Saki have to say it's misogyny and racism that's defining Kamala Harris's perception among the American people? I, I think I don't think it's that sinister. Do you? Just no, she's I don't think not so. that great. I mean, and nobody's I, really liked her. And I think it's really just a deflection because they don't have a good answer. I mean, there's no other answer, so that's what they deflect to. So people didn't like her when she was running. And then suddenly, as the VP, they think there's going to be a spike in her popularity. For what reason? For what? How? Why? What is she going to do that's going to make her more popular? I think that's a completely unrealistic expectation that, well, can, that she can correct these things. Well, I, don't, I, I, I do think, and I guess that's where I disagree, I think she has the ability in some of these areas to course correct because I think as VP, she has, if she is given the ability capability, she can have high profile visibility in some areas and be put out there, um, you know, in ways that would allow her to work on and correct those issues and give her a platform to do so. A platform she didn't even have nationally necessarily as a senator. Like there are things that she could probably do, uh, but she hasn't done those. And then again, like, I don't know. And I wouldn't let the administration off either because I don't think the Biden people have really made it a point to give her an opportunity to grow and shine. So, I, I mean, I, it's a lo- I think most of it's on her. But at the same time, I think that they've just kind of shrugged this off and they don't really care either. Another theory might be they've recognized her limitations. They understand what she can't do, and they're trying to put her in places that she can succeed. You can't take that, that on could be part of it. Yeah. You can't take on anything big, anything that requires any type of consensus building. That's just not you. So and essentially, that's you've just, shown that your entire political career. So they're just resigning themselves to the fact that yeah, she's she's not, a liability. Yeah, and when you have no bench, where there's nobody after her, what do you do? Right. I don't think they replace her in office. We we talked about. I heard some rumors on some 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 podcast that they were they were thinking about replacing her. Before 2024. And the question that we need to do some Google on is, does the vice president work at the discretion of the president? Can the president fire the vice president and just replace them with somebody else? I have no idea. And I don't know that that's even spelled out constitutionally. So I don't know how that would work. I mean, that might be tested for the – it would be tested for the first time if that happens because I can't recall in history where a president just yanked his VP prior to an election. There's a couple instances where the VP didn't make the the, the re-election ticket. Where yeah. they, they they've chosen that that's happened a handful of times, and there's some yeah. precedent. For that's that. different than midterm yeah. or mid, you know, prior to an election. Yeah, d- changing course, but yeah, I don't know. And can other people run to be on the ticket? If Pete Buttigieg decide, look, let's just say for sake of argument, Biden runs for re-election. Can Pete Buttigieg run or lobby or? How does that work if somebody else wants yeah. – is that all at Biden's discretion? I think so. Yeah, he would still have to be chosen by yeah. Biden to be on the ticket. I mean there's no other mechanism for him to just become the VP nominee without that. Speaking of 
ineffective politicians. We could just move over to the entire House at this point. But Paul Gosar, Republican from Arizona, really distinguishes himself in being a complete and total moron with getting censored yesterday for tweeting an animated video of him basically attacking AOC and Biden. Yeah. I mean, Paul Gosar, the uh, resident white supremacist as well, you know, someone and who's that's white not nationalist, unabashed. unabashed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is yeah, yeah. based on what he said. And I mean, he goes to neo-Nazi conferences. So yeah, he tweets out this cartoonish <laughs> video of um, AOC being killed, murdered, uh, you know, it's completely inappropriate. You have Kevin McCarthy, who's the leader of the House Republicans, doesn't say anything for days, yeah. and then comes out with this, you know, meek, you know, statement saying, oh, I talked to him about it, and he decided to remove it. Does it say it was wrong? Does it say that it was awful? And so, yeah, naturally, his colleagues hold a vote on censor and removing him from his committees. And then what's really pathetic is that there are only two Republicans, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, who joined the Democrats in that vote that was successful. But only two out of the entire House Republican caucus is willing to draw a line in the sand and say that this is reprehensible. This type of violent rhetoric is wrong towards another colleague. I mean, it could lead to actual violence, you know, by members of the public. Like, so only two stand up and think that that's wrong? That's where we are? So when AOC took the mic on the, the floor of the House to give her five-minute response to, yeah. to during the censure, what she said was was spot-on and very powerful. But who said it and how she said it negates a lot of it. AOC has that very kind of over-the-top, dramatic, breathy style. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it just like, ugh, really? And very confrontational. I mean, that's, yes. you know, how, just who she is, her personality. But her point was, can't you just say that's wrong? Yeah. Can't you just say, there's no whataboutism here. That was wrong. And I think she was trying to make the simple point, there are things that are wrong, that are always wrong, that politics should be taken out. We've devolved to the point where if it's not on my team, you can do nothing wrong. And that's dangerous. And that's not the way this game should be played. At At the same time, too, this is the second time the Democrats in the House have set the precedent that they can remove members of the uh, of the other party from their committee assignments while i agree with both of them i know where you're Gosar going with this, and, yeah. Green, and marjorie ju- taylor green yeah if kevin mccarthy is allowed to grab the reins of power in the house it becomes speaker. strap it on here uh, because because then for political purposes that's what yep. i fear is the republicans are going to use this like a weapon uh, against democrats on anything and everything no matter how mild um, and that's a danger and, and it's difficult because republicans are normalizing behavior that should and conduct and speech that should be normalized by members of Congress. So on one hand, I'm like the Democrats have to do something and have to, you know, take this action. But, you know, Republicans are going to use and abuse it. And so that's a problem. Of Although course. I don't think it'll be Kevin McCarthy because I don't think he's going to have the votes to be speaker. I think Jim Jordan is going to be speaker. Is he any better? Back the house. No, he's worse, of course. Yeah. But I mean, if there can be worse. But but I just say that to show that we are at such a point with the House Republican caucus where I don't think Kevin McCarthy can even be reelected speaker. I think it's going to be Jim Jordan, who's ultimate Trump loyalist. Um, you know, Freedom Caucus, who will be the head of, uh, I mean, we're at a point now where, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that you had uh, Paul Ryan and um, John Boehner, you know, were 
uh, yeah. Republican speakers. There's no way in hell today that either, either of them would be voted by their colleagues to be speaker. That's I, how far removed we are from that era. I really dislike Paul Ryan. I'd really like him to come back and I, I okay, we'll make him House Speaker. Yeah. If, if it got this crew of Republicans out, how about Bobert, that idiot from Colorado, just going on some sort of rant and talking about Swalwell and Fing Fig and Ilhan Omar's brother husband? What? This is on, I think, the same day that the FBI oh, okay. raided her campaign manager's Oh, yeah. I, I heard about that. So, yeah. I did not hear about the tweet. Yeah, because oh, she's she, facing so much legal trouble She stood up for her five minutes and just went off. It just looked like a lunatic doing it, too. But uh, that's just where we are. That's this crew of people, yeah. We also wanted to talk about when uh, Jonathan Carl came out with a, a book about Trump. I think it's called Betrayal or Betrayed. Uh, yes. Uh, so betrayal. And I think it can be difficult to keep track of all of the books because there's been so many, especially over the past year. Some good, some bad. Some bad. Um, this is in the category of at the top of must read books if you're going to read because it's not just, uh, you know, hearsay or um, salacious, you know, gossip or innuendos or rumors because some of those books are really just kind of the one with Wolf. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those books all oh, suck. Oh, yeah. I mean, th- that's all just like insider gossip and yeah. rumor mill stuff that doesn't really give you anything. Um, this book, I mean, really acts as a warning. And it's good because Jonathan Carl is a respected longtime political reporter. Uh, so he's not someone coming at it from just like the authors that churn out these books, yeah. you know, on everybody. And these are based on actual recorded audio tape interviews that he conducted with the former president after January 6th. Yep. And so that's what most striking is that um, and the excerpts of the book as they were released were done so in coin, uh, to coincide with audio being released. And I think what's most damning is we obviously see all of the dysfunction that we've seen with the administration, but there's key pieces like this week learning that uh, Carl asked Trump specifically about the comments he made about Pence. <laughs> being a patriot or a P word. Pussy. Pussy. Uh, and uh, Trump was just like, yeah, 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 th- yeah. I, that's, yeah, that's what I said. That's how I feel. And and then uh, Trump had no qualms about his own VP, about people yeah. chasing him and wanting yeah. to kill him. And he said, oh, no, no, you know, I, I didn't fear for his safety or anything. And he's okay. like, you can understand, you know, why these people were upset and angry. That was Trump's retort on that. So, okay, Brandon, you're, you're Trump and we, we shoot you with truth serum. So you have to answer this honestly. Okay. The question to Trump is Pence is violently killed by a mob on Jan 6, but you're still president. You cool with that? He would say, yeah. He'd say, yes. Of 100%. course. No hesitation. <laughs> he would literally call me an idiot for asking that question yeah. and say, of course I would. He would sacrifice anybody to oh, get yeah. back on, on the throne. And he'd have done it that day. He'd open the door and let them in and watch them tear Pence apart if he thought oh, that completely. put him back on. And by the, the way, I think that's the right word to use it is throne because I think that's how he approaches it. He approaches it as a fiefdom, as a kingdom, and you know he sees his role as absolute ruler. And so, yeah, if anything that stands in his way, and he's shown that time and time again. I don't know why people forget this. Everybody else is collateral damage when it comes to Trump. You're only in his good graces so far as you are politically beneficial to him at the moment that you question him or somehow are out of line or aren't a hundred percent with him on anything he throws you to the wolves you're no longer useful and, and so that's just there's, there's been the a course. whole bunch of books and other stuff have come out about documenting the trump coup 
that he was absolutely trying to pull off a coup to stay in power. Oh, during the time that the Capitol was being attacked and members of Congress were hiding under their desk, he was making those calls. Yeah. Trying to, you know, round up votes, you know, to basically send this back to the state legislature to decertify the election. He And he knew that the Capitol was being attacked and that these members were fleeing for their safety. He didn't care. He was trying to intimidate them, um, as he has done all along, as he did when he was calling the Georgia Secretary of State. Yeah. Arizona governor, all of these people trying to get them, in the case of Georgia Secretary of State, just find some votes, make them up, like do whatever you have to do to get me to that number. And and it's not just him. It's that jackass at the Federalist Society who's writing the six-point memo of how Pence can accomplish the the Yeah, They they wrote it down. They wrote a framework of how we're going to do this. Oh, that, that was just a joke. I didn't mean that. Nobody took that seriously. Eat shit. Of course it was serious. And once again, we have to remind people that if it were not for a few people in specific positions of power who were brave enough to push back against that and to do fulfill the duties of their offices, uh, it would have worked. You know, I mean, that strategy could have easily worked. And we're at the place now when many of those people, uh, boards of canvas uh, people, election authorities, they've all been replaced with Trump loyalists. Yeah. I mean, there's been a orchestrated effort on the state and local level to replace anybody who was seen as a uh, barrier and as an obstacle to Trump's uh, reinst- uh, being reinstated. Yeah. And so, you know, we're going to be in dire shape come next time if there is any dispute over the election, uh, because, you know, it's not going to turn out like it did this last time. I always ask people, when anybody talks about Trump gaining power again in 2024, I always ask the same question. Who's his attorney general? What does his cabinet look like? If we can all acknowledge we had the C players in 2016 when he took over, what's going to happen in 2024? Who who is going to work with him? We are down to the bottom of the barrel. I'm saying it now. Mark Lindell, my pillow guy, will be uh, treasury secretary. Oh, that'd be a great job for him. (laughs) Who's going to be secretary of state? Rich Grinnell? Uh, yeah, that's his, probably his most likely. envoy, right. who's in Europe right now, working on his behalf. Yeah, I, what is he doing over there? I have no clue. <laughs> God, he's getting crazy with that with his Trump forty five. Did you see the assault he ripped off on McConnell, calling him the broken old oh, crow? Yeah. yeah, I saw that. Yeah, these uh, like uh, press release statements he's like, that he's popping he, out. Left he enabled right. the passing of the infrastructure bill. Blah 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 blah. blah. It's just like, dude. My point here is Trump spent the first four years of his presidency learning how to grift. He already knows it now. Day one, if he steps back in power, he's ready to fire up a much more advanced operation. hundred times worse, and he's going after all of his enemies. Uh, I mean, it's going to be scorched earth campaign. Knowing there's no other campaign. And Trump would be 78, 79. Knowing, too, this is the ninth inning. This is his last hurrah. It's going to be disastrous if he gets back in power. Yeah, it's uh, it's scary to even contemplate. I, I, and the fact that we're, we're, we we mm. have to contemplate it because it's, it's a likely odds. possibility yeah. at this point. Brandon, my wife signed up for Paramount Plus this week because there's some new show with Jeremy Renner in it, and he's like a warden or something. Or something. Oh, okay. She fell for the old trick. Wow, that looks really good. And you I sign like up these based people. on one show. Yeah. It's only $49 <laughs> a year. So we have another one. Here's what I don't understand. And here, here's, here's where I think streaming is going to have to get better. So there's, parent, there, there's CBS All Access, 
Right. And there's Paramount. Then there's Paramount Plus, which is what used to be CBS Access, All Access, and some of what's on Paramount. So you've got this weird menu. Yeah. And Paramount's biggest show right now is Yellowstone. It's the most popular show on TV. It's not on Paramount Plus, their premium stream service. It's on Paramount. So wait a minute. So I pay extra for Paramount Plus, which I'm not quite sure what I get. And I can't stream the most popular show on TV that you own because it's over on this what we're getting to the point i think this it's this, super confusing this was the first week with streaming i just said piss on it i can't figure this out i'll just i'll pick this up at some later time well and the uh, the other aspect of that is that once a show um is quote unquote like off the air i don't know what the term is now not not off streaming but it's concluded like yeah. the number of seasons it's running like it's not and so it goes for you know syndication it's not even syndication i'm using old terms that don't apply yeah, to streaming i know what you're doing but, but you know right. what i'm saying so then in many of those cases those shows will then go to other streaming services sometimes and yeah. then it becomes a matter of trying to remember which streaming services are going to be retired to if you want to watch it later or again or for the first time if you did see it in its first run and it's all over the place and i give the um example um so Ryan Murphy, who's behind American Horror Story and American mm-hmm. Crime Story, like depending on what, you know, those all live in different places. Like there's a contract with Netflix. So um, American um, Crime Story gets retired there. But American Horror Story um, is not on Netflix. It's on Hulu. But yeah. then if there's another one of his Be- properties. But it airs on FX. Right. And, but then and, the next day it's on Hulu. Right. And then there's one that's where it's FX on Hulu, where it's not on <laughs> FX regular. You can only see it on the FX on Hulu. And that's different than regular Hulu. You have to have the FX on Hulu subscription. But with Impeachment, which is their newest one, that one was on FX only. So you had to watch it in real time like the old days, which means you couldn't watch it on FX on Hulu or on Hulu. And um, and then that one is going to eventually go to Netflix. So it's not going to go to FX or Hulu because of a older uh, legacy grandfather deal with Netflix for the American Crime Story franchise. And Paramount Plus comes with commercials. So yeah. CBS Access, where I watched my Star Trek shows, had no commercials, right. now gets wrapped up in the Paramount. Oh, that's where what we I hate the most. A premium subscription, and they still and they stick everything. With that's what I love about Apple's. There's no commercials. But yeah, I hate the ones where it's like you're paying I for it and you still have to have commercials. I'm so, like, what am I getting? Are we headed right back to where you'll pay? Because at some point we're getting to the point too where I don't know where anything is. You don't know where everything anything is, and the more and more you buy, it's getting to be the cost of cable. Like they all add up. There's so many, and they're multiplying. Eventually, what will happen is you'll is it you'll buy a if you think in a cable, you'll just buy a a basic package of streaming services that come with all of this, and you'll be presented with a menu with all of your streaming stuff combined. That's going to have to happen. Because I don't know where to go to get shit anymore. And those effers at Paramount Plus, when they advertised Yellowstone, they link it to Paramount Plus. They imply that you need this subscription. That's super And then you get it, and you're like, oh, this stuff's pretty cool. I can watch this. Where's freaking Uh. Yellowstone? It's not so on, there. on your oh, premiere God. platform, you don't add the premiere show. I got to go sign up for something else. That's ridiculous. See, I'd be so enraged, and I and I've been wanting to watch Yellowstone, but I haven't even started down the path of knowing where to start. Well, so that's... Star Trek Discover season four. Love the show. Started off today. It's got commercials in it. Piss on it. <laughs> uh, I'm not watching that. It's just, ugh. it was 
when when Joe's like, ah, I signed up for Paramount Plus, it was 50 bucks, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, I'll check this out. Yeah. Something's going to have to happen because as a consumer, I think we're just getting too confused about it's what's It's way worth. confusing. And that FX and Hulu thing, you're right. That's like, okay, maybe this is on there. There's maybe multiple layers not. to that. And like, and it's just, it is beyond confusing. Yeah. Brandon, do you have any pop culture things we want to talk about before we go? Mine was uh, just I'm pissed at Paramount Plus because I didn't. I, I just thought the menu sucked and I didn't understand why Yellowstone wasn't on it. Yeah, that was a good one. I'm trying to recall because I feel like I absorb a lot of like dumb pop culture stuff throughout the week and then I can't remember <laughs> the ones I want to talk about. Because like, it's so dumb. I guess Most that's, of pop culture is just stupid as hell. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of it is right now. And I there's not there's not a single one that's coming to mind right now. When I'm, do you think the Rittenhouse jersey, uh, jury, jury comes back? Uh, I, I'm probably wrong. I'm guessing tomorrow. I'm going to say by I, end of I day Friday so. is what I'm saying. If you've been arguing with somebody or as a group for four days and you can't reach a conclusion, you probably just can't reach a conclusion. Yeah, I think that's what it's come down to. So I'm going to say tomorrow. We'll yeah, see. I think so too. All right, that's our hour. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for listening to Two Men in the Middle. Make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website at twomeninthemiddle.com. Drop us an email at twomeninthemiddle at gmail.com or tweet at us at Two Men in the Middle. We'll see you next week.